All right, guys, thanks for that. And we're going to move into our top story this morning as the United Auto Workers strike is moving into its third week. To give us a little bit of an update on that, we've got Lori Anlaroco joining us, our American Shipper contributor. She's, of course, over at CNBC as well. Lori Ann, thank you for being here. You just recently put up a really great article detailing some of the costs associated with the strike so far. We're just on the south side of now $4 billion entering this third week. Let's break down where most of that cost is affecting those makers so far. Sure. Thanks for having me. So pretty much when you're looking at the trickle-down effect, the majority of the losses, according to uh, Anderson Economic Group, um, they they resulted at $3.95 billion in economic losses in the first two weeks. Almost half of that, Kaylee, is from supplier losses. So you're looking at $1.29 billion as of right now, and that number ticks up every day. So, Lorianne, as you look at, obviously, this is getting more and more expensive day by day. Uh, Any indication from what you're seeing on either side in terms of are we even close to a solution? I think I saw a report last night that uh, the the two sides are still far apart on several things. Exactly. No, no, they're still very far apart. And when you're looking at with each day, and you pointed it right out, this costs money. And so the automakers are not going to keep folks on the assembly lines, right? You're seeing more and more people get furloughed every day. And that's the reason why where you see this trickle down effect, right? When it comes to the suppliers, if folks aren't making the parts, the suppliers aren't going to have them. And so this is just going to get worse uh, way before it gets better. And I spoke with an attorney who actually um, represents a lot of these auto suppliers. And, you know, he said that this is indeed going to be a significant problem, particularly for the smaller suppliers, because they don't have the cash flow. So, Lorianne, the last time that we chatted about this, we, of course, tried to make that connection to the transportation space. We knew that it was going to take at least two to three weeks before we start seeing that impact on the transportation side of things. When the suppliers now don't have the business, then they don't have to book the freight to move those supplies. They don't have to see that. And then it trickles down into a lot of your smaller regional carriers, as we mentioned, who do a lot of that work for your automakers, especially up around Detroit. Are we expecting to start to see that in the trucking side of things by the time we hit maybe the end of this week into the start of next week? And where do we see that first? Is it in rejections? Is it in things like that? I would think it would start probably most with the rejections, right? I mean, it also depends. This is like it impacts the local suppliers. So it depends on who is supplying from where and to whom. And so if you have somebody that's going directly with the automakers, uh, they're going to be impacted more significantly. When you're looking at folks from the more consumer area, right, I've been hearing a lot about uh, from auto body experts that they're getting emails from Napa uh, saying, listen, if you need your headlight, if you need your bumpers, order them now because you may not have them in a couple of weeks. So if you're a trucker, right, that that delivers to and from, say, Napa Auto Parts, just for an example, you're going to be exposed. So I think it really depends on, you know, who you're contracted to. I'm concerned, one in particular, with how this is going to, how this is playing out in view of how other labor negotiations have played out as well. You covered the ILWU uh, negotiations in Canada. Uh, obviously, there was a West Coast there issue as well. Rail has gone through this. UPS has gone through this. And in certain situations, certainly of late, labor has certainly gotten a large uh, increase, uh, a great deal of what they've wanted on, on most of those accounts there as well. 
do you look at this strike and, and seeing as what the UAW is looking for is, again, something that could be pro, very much prolonged because of what they've seen other groups get in their negotiations? Uh, most definitely. I mean, when you look at the when you look at the contracts, what is from what has been negotiated, they have had significant pay raises. As we all know, there really is a wide divide between the automakers and what the UAW wants. I mean, you know, for example, you've had Ford, you have GM coming out saying, "Well, we've given twenty percent uh, raises." They want forty, so they're nowhere near of where they want to be. And when you're looking at um, auto demand, right? Demand for auto still outstrips supply. So that is to the competitive advantage, if you will, for the uh, the UAW. Remember, trade takes people. Manufacturing takes people. And when it comes to COVID, when it comes to particularly with the automakers where they gave back with their pensions and things like that, they know their worth, they are frustrated, and they see other automakers across the pond I spoke with a, a, an attorney that represents unions, and they say, you know, when it comes to the European automakers, they work a 32-hour week, and that's what the UAW wants. So look at what the competitors are doing, and they're doing it effectively. They're also doing it with EVs. Um, there are lessons to be learned here, and we are, from what we've gathered in the beginning innings of this uh, labor strife. So, Lorianne, in your article, you make a really good quote from that Anderson Economic Group saying that when the inner, innocent bystanders begin to feel it, it will affect the generally supportive sentiment that Americans have been expressing about the UAW's demands so far. When do we start to see that sentiment start to eat away? And what are then the consequences if the general public kind of loses their sentiment and support for the UAW? Do we then eventually see them start to fold because they know that they don't have the backing of that general consensus support? It just depends on how bad the the supply chain becomes. You know, I mean, it wasn't too long ago when we couldn't get, you know, our toilet paper or our bounty, right, on on the uh, on the shelf. I think it's going to have to take a couple of more months, if you will, where if you can't, if you're in a fender bender and you can't get a bumper and you can't drive your car, but you can't afford to go to work, if you go to Napa Auto Parts and you can't get headlights uh, and then you get pulled over, I think that's what's going to happen in terms of where you get that feverish pitch of uh, the consumer being mad. But you're going to have to see like empty shelves in order to really probably feel that type of animosity. We've talked a little bit about uh, the UAW and their position on this, not so much on the automakers side. As you have, you gotten a chance to talk to what the automakers positions are. Obviously, they're trying to fight this tooth and nail and not give up as, as much as they as much as the UAW would like them to at that particular point. But what is it from that side of the, uh, of the negotiating table and, and what are they seeing if, they, if they're talking out loud? They're not, I mean, it's everything that you've heard, right? You know, in, in recent headlines about, you know, they're giving historic, you know, historic offerings and, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're trying to extend that olive branch. But when it comes to the wants of the union, you're hearing more, of what they want, what they're lacking, and also, too, when it comes to uh, the longevity, right, of jobs. Uh, the union attorney, one of the attorneys that I've spoken with um, that's represented other unions that is reflecting on this, it's where do we go from here? How do you transition? You know, it, it's, it, it's all about that transitioning and how do you, uh, you know, keep the workforce where you are now 
for the tomorrow that we have. And we haven't heard that in terms of from the automakers. And so I think it's what you're not hearing is creating that void, if you will, and fueling the empowerments from the auto, from the uh, unions. So, Lorraine, as we as we wrap up, uh, in, any sign of what could possibly happen next, or is this basically a, uh, just a, sign, a situation where it's hurry up and wait? It's pretty much hurry up and wait. And you know, if you're not really seeing any further concessions with wage or hours, um, you know, you know that you're in it for the long haul. And you, you know, and also too, the furloughs are going to continue. And so, and that further will just add more pressure to the supply chain. And so that's what you have to look at. Like anytime you, you see another furlough, another hundred people going out, you know, from the automakers, you and I both know that's going to impact the supply chain and the trickle down from that, of course, are the truckers that move the product to and from the dealers to and from um, the, you know, the Napa's of the world. Um, you know, it's going to, it's going to be weeks. Yeah, definitely looks like it's going to be a hard-fought fight over the course of the next few days, hopefully not weeks and months. Uh, Lorraine LaRocco, thanks so much for joining us and providing us this insight. Thanks for having me. All right, let's move over to Kaylee Nix and with our first check of headlines for the day.